Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, hello and welcome everybody to Sunday Sit Insight LA Long Beach. We're going to continue with our 37 bodhisattva practices. So we've been covering this, I think this is our fifth time or something like that. We're taking it nice and easy, going through this text. And um, of course, some of you are new to it, and that's totally fine. Uh, We'll give a little review first, and uh, then we'll get into the next verses. So this booklet is um, a Tibetan Buddhist, or this text is a Tibetan Buddhist text written by a bodhisattva. 14th century. A bodhisattva is a being that has attained enlightenment but continues to come down and manifest for the benefit of all beings. So there's some famous bodhisattvas that you might have heard of. Uh, Buddha, this guy named Buddha, bodhisattva. (laughs) Krishna, Christ was a bodhisattva. There's many common Many people that, many saints, like Amma would be considered a bodhisattva. Um, the Dalai Lama is actually a manifestation of Chinrezig or Avalokiteshvara, which is uh, the Buddha of compassion, right? which is one of the most famous bodhisattvas of the Tibetan religion, Kuan Yin, right? bodhisattva. There's many bodhisattvas in the Tibetan Buddhist uh, religion, but it's um, Yogananda, Babaji, Ramana, Nizadagata, Papaji, all, all these beings are considered these avatars that come down, right? And so this is an outline how to become a bodhisattva. Why do we want to become a bodhisattva? Stop making the good of all beings. Yeah. Help people, good of all beings. Huh? Not come back. Mm. Who aspire and not come back. Yeah, or come back. If we do, then just come back for the benefit of all beings. Stop suffering. Stop suffering? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, being a bodhisattva is really synonymous with, with enlightenment, this, the cessation of suffering, right? The cessation of suffering. And they call this a, a full <coughs> enlightenment. So there's different types of enlightenment. There's a style of, that they say, like a, of enlightenment where we could be free at least we think so, but on, at the end of the day, in aspect of like speaking of eternity, <laughs> we're not all the way there until we do it for the benefit of all beings, because this is the full realization of oneness. This is the full realization of non-separateness. So they ask the teacher, so what do I, how do I act? How do I give towards others? And he simply said, there's no other, right? There's no other. There is no other. Right. So this is the full culmination of the highest pursuit of our beingness. Right. <clears throat> so this text is written as as really a um, a cliff notes of of how to get there. This is very succinct. It's very pithy. It's very short. You can carry it literally in your back pocket. But it represents the entire path, and that's what's so beautiful about it. We could literally spend a lifetime going over the depths of this, 
Um, and we might. It's uh, <laughs> being that we're only on verse uh, 12, I thought we'd be like way through it. So last time we went over uh, Tonglen, which was in the verse 11, exchanging self for others, which is a formal technique of a bodhisattva. This is when we literally wish to take on the suffering of another person, of a group of people, of all beings. We could even wish to take on the suffering of ourselves. And by the power of that compassion, that suffering, which we visualize in the form of black smoke, is transmuted. And it crushes the self-cherishing aspects of our heart. And in doing so, our whole being is filled with this amazing light of absolute perfection, of love, compassion. And on the out-breath, we give that light back to, those, to that person, to those people. Right? It's an amazing technique, exchanging self for others. And Ben Bolton's in Namsel gave a fantastic talk on that. I thought that was wonderful. It'll be up on SoundCloud soon. I think he's always working on it today, actually. Um, and so what's beautiful about that is that it's a fantastic formal practice. It's something that we can get up and, and do. If, for those of you that um, are new, it's on our Facebook page. If you, if you sign, um, Jennifer, if you sign... <laughs> The uh, put your email address and whatnot, which I think you did already. Yeah. You get a link to our Facebook page on the newsletter, and it's all on there. How to do Tonglen. So we're going to be covering today. We're going to be covering <clears throat> informal practice, and this is one of my favorite set of verses. Uh, we're not on the cushion all the time. Even if we're on the cushion an hour a day, or even two hours a day, that still leaves 22, 23 hours out of the day to have a crazy monkey mind <laughs> and to. Uh, just go nuts, right? So if we don't have anything pulling us back in on a moment-to-moment basis, it's not going to really be much use. And so I want to go ahead and just read through these. As far as explanation goes, they're pretty cut and dry. There's no unpacking of uh, different concepts or different deeper practices. It's pretty simple, yet once you read them, you'll see it's not so simple to actually implement and put into practice. So I'm going to go ahead and read them, and then we're going to talk about um, the underlying pieces. Actually, first, before I go into them, I want to just take a look at the textual outline. And we're going to be going over verse 12 through 15. And again, the outline is so great because it just talks very succinctly about what the verse is about. So verse 12, you can see transforming loss into the path. Verse 13, transforming suffering into the path. Verse 14, transforming blame into the path. Verse 15, transforming criticism into the path. Okay, so that's what each one is about. Uh, the essence of each uh, verse, and so verse 12. Even if others, influenced by great desire, steal all one's wealth or have it stolen, dedicating to them one's body, possessions, and virtues, accumulated in the three times, is the bodhisattva's practice. Sounds very rational, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the three times, past, present, and future. 
13. Even if others try to cut off one's head when one is utterly blameless, taking upon oneself all of their negative deeds by the power of compassion is the Bodhisattva's practice. Easy. No problem. <laughs> no problem at all. Why are, we, why are we even going over this? It's obvious, right? Even if someone broadcasts throughout the billion worlds all sorts of offensive remarks about one, speaking in turn of that person's qualities with a loving mind is the Bodhisattva's practice. So simple. No money coming in. Fifteen. Even if, in the midst of a public gathering, someone exposes faults and speaks ill of one, humbly paying homage to and perceiving that person as a spiritual friend is the Bodhisattva's practice. Okay. So... I feel like I have a big job ahead of me. <laughs> How can we be like on board with this stuff, right? It doesn't seem, it seems like a prescription to be a doormat or to be submissive and not stand up for ourselves, to not love ourselves. It just seems so completely odd. So let's back up. Let's back up a few paces here and look at the foundation. Again, what are we trying to achieve? Selflessness. Selflessness, yeah. We're trying to achieve this, this bodhisattva quality, right? So we talk about these two aspects. There's relative bodhicitta and an absolute bodhicitta. So bodhicitta is the wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So, so uh, a bodhisattva is one who has realized this. So bodhicitta is like the currency that we're dealing with here. This is the accumulation. We're trying to accumulate more bodhicitta. Okay, and I'll read the definition of bodhicitta here. I'll just read this first. Bodhicitta is a spontaneous wish to maintain enlightenment, motivated by great compassion for all beings, accompanied by the falling away of the attachment to the illusion of an inherently existing self. I'm going to go ahead and read that again, okay? Mm -hmm. Bodhicitta is the spontaneous wish to attain enlightenment, motivated by great compassion for all beings, accompanied by the falling away of the attachment to the illusion of an inherently existing self. Okay? So... These, this part of the text is the cultivation of bodhicitta. So they say as we cultivate more and more, more and more bodhicitta, we could accumulate so much of this, we have an actual experiential understanding of it, which is absolute bodhicitta, which is the full knowing, the full knowing of the, of the experience of bodhicitta, which is this self, selflessness, right? <clears throat> So we talked about no self and other. So when we read these things, right, we're reading it from a relative aspect. So it says, if somebody, even if somebody were to cut off one's head, right, 
we would still treat them with the utmost respect and compassion, which makes no sense on a relative level, right? But it makes ultimate sense on, a, on an ultimate level, on an absolute level. We take these great sages, there's one a beautiful story of Buddha, and Buddha is, is in the jungle and a tigress comes, <coughs> and she's starving to death. And she has three little cubs. And she, he could tell she's about to eat her cubs to stay alive. So the Buddha, this is one of his former lifetimes, kills himself. Like He gives himself to the tigress so she could feed on his body and therefore save the cubs and save the tiger. Of course, we have the beautiful example, which I mentioned last time, of the great Bodhisattva of Christ on the cross, making no sense whatsoever, going through the physical pain of getting nailed to the cross, completely unjust, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? So we see these amazing examples. I love Mother Teresa's example, standing in the middle of a firefight, telling them to please stop. Martin Luther King... Right, risking life and limb, family, risking everything for peace. Right, these are modern day examples of bodhisattva actions. Right. Now, if soul, if really we're just one, right? If we're really just one, this makes absolute sense. Right. So they say we're unique, but we're one. Right. We're unique. We have a unique. We're a, a unique piece of the one. Right, Mingyur likes to say, "We're not one, but we're not two. <laughs> you know, we're like this isness." It makes perfect sense if you know that you're looking into the eyes of yourself. Then it makes perfect sense. And also, this is this is the religious aspect, but also too, they say, if something happens to you, then it's ripening of karma, and it's a very good thing that that karma is being extinguished through the experience of that. So in other words, if somebody comes in your home and steals everything, that means, and again, this is, this is a belief of karma, that you have done similar things in the past and that you're just going through the karmic you know, um, cause and effect and not to accumulate any more negative karma, just saying thank you that has passed. And the same thing with illness too. Every time that you become sick, you say, oh, thank goodness, look at this, I get to remove this karma, you know. There was a very auspicious day on the, on the uh, Buddhist calendar, and this monk was given a teaching, and uh, it was really funny, he, he, I mean, it's funny to him, but he fell, and when he fell, he dislocated his finger, so when he got back up, his finger was twisted. It was just like pointing the wrong direction. And he was smiling to everybody and showing everybody. <laughs> and he said, how auspicious. Look at I get to remove this karma on a day like this. So all, everything is exponential on these holy days, right? So, so the merit that you get and the karma that you get to extinguish is magnified. So he was so happy. Look at this, pointing in the wrong direction. Look at this. Look at this, showing everybody. So very happy. 
And I think, you know, whatever works for us, like if that works, but this is a, this is a very good point of view. Like, look at may, maybe I've done this. We really don't know. They say that we've been, we've been incarnating for countless eons is, is a term we hear, countless eons, timeless, right? So yeah, maybe we did. And maybe this is ripening of that karma. And so this sense of I being extinguished. So when we hear the word bodhicitta in, in Buddhism, most of the time people think that's compassion. We say, you know, accumulate bodhicitta, which is a very big, very big element of that, that aspiration to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings is this highly compassionate piece. But the, the other piece is the wisdom piece is the letting go of the I, right? the letting go of this inherently existing self, which means this permanent fixed self. And really the self is something much bigger than that. It's changing. We're not saying it any way whatsoever. We do not exist. We just don't exist in the way that we think we do. Right? Right? The sense of self comes through the aggregates, this perceived, like, I have a body and emotions and feelings and thoughts. And if I put it all together, it kind of looks like mumbo-jumbo together. kind of looks like I could piece an eye together out of that. But if we ever look for the eye, we can't find it. There's no heart surgeon that has looked into the body and said, Oh, there's the eye. You know, I found the eye. There it is. We can look all around and we don't find it. Which is a beautiful thing, experientially. So, let me see. Let me read some from... So our commentary that we're using is Dilgo Kinsei, The Heart of Compassion. This is the commentary on the Bodhisattva practices. Yeah, this is a great quote by... by Tompa. There's another amazing lama. Should someone chop my body into a thousand pieces, may I not be the least bit upset, but straight away put on the armor of patience. If you are to overcome the belief in a truly existing self today, you will be enlightened today. If you are to overcome it tomorrow, you will be enlightened tomorrow. But if you never overcome it, you will never gain enlightenment. Kind of profound. Like, shoot. I wish I could <laughs> hang on to myself and get enlightened. Like, <laughs> but how can we really truly love all beings if we're trying to protect this self? And that's where all of this angst comes from. This is where fear comes from. This is where anxiety comes mm -hmm. from. This is why we go to war. As soon as we have a self, then we have mine. And then we want to we want to create laws to protect and rules to protect and wars to protect what's mine. I'm trying to protect my family. So I'm gonna kill your family. I'm gonna I'm gonna protect my country. But I'm gonna bomb your country, right? Now that doesn't make any sense, right? Especially when we're meditating, we really can't find the eye that we're trying to protect. And these great sages know that they're not the body. When we say that they're giving up their body, they're not giving up themselves. 
They're giving up the body. We say crazy things like, my body, who owns the body? Find the owner of the body. Really, find the owner of the thought. That's the craziest one. Thoughts come from nowhere. We have no idea where they come from. Nobody's ever figured that out, right? And then somewhere along the way, we make this decision, it's mine. And then we say, I was thinking, I thought. But we all do it. And on a relative reality, yeah, for sure, we're here, we have to work in the world, and we can't discard that. It's, it's important. And remember, all of that stuff, the me, the I, the motivation. Buddha says, you know, you should go meditate, or you, know, you practice compassion. So, yes, there is an I that's, that's making those decisions, right? We want to use that to get to the cushion, to get to places like this, right? to do the teachings, and then rest as much as we can in just this beingness as well. I is merely label, merely a label. You have given to a transient combination of concepts and attachments to your body, speech, and mind. It is not an absolute, eternal, indestructible truth like the Dharmakaya nature of the Buddhas. Use any practice you do to dissolve the idea of I and the self-oriented motivations that accompany it. Even if you do not succeed in the beginning, keep trying. So this is part of the commentary that he's talking about, suffering on the path. If in return, um, yeah, this is when he's talking about, even if others try to cut off one's head when one is utterly blameless, taking upon oneself all the negative deeds by the power of compassion is the Bodhisattva's practice. Sorry, sometimes I can't find all my little notes to myself. Binnable Namsel last time talked about this precious, this precious uh, treasure. Uh, there was a story of, of a man that was poor his whole life but didn't know that in his fireplace, just right underneath the floor of his fireplace, there was a treasure buried there. And that this is much like ourselves in spiritual seeking, that we have this precious treasure, this, this, this enlightened essence. And yet we act poor our whole life and we go after these, uh, these tiny little nibbles of bliss and satisfaction, like ice cream and things like that, right? These little, really little nibbles and we think we're poor. But our essence is so beautiful and so powerful. It's this hidden treasure. And here's the actual, it's actually a poem. Like, like a precious jewel buried under a poor man's house, primordial, primordial, primordially, there we go, primordially pure awareness has always been present in the Dharmakaya. It is because it is not recognized that the delusion of samsara takes place. By being introduced directly to that awareness and recognizing it, one realizes the wisdom of primordial space, and this is known as Buddhahood. 
And the Dharmakaya is like the, there's different kayas, which means planes of, of existence. So this is more of a, a material plane or material kaya. But the Dharmakaya is that of bliss. It's just the ultimate, the Dharmakaya. Once you have been able to recognize the empty nature of mind, attachment and desire, desire will not arise when your mind sees something beautiful. And hatred and repulsion will not develop whenever it comes across anything horrific or unpleasant. Since these negative emotions no longer arise, the mind is no longer deceived or deluded. Karma is not accumulated, and the stream of suffering is cut. And this is why we practice, right? I'm going to read that again. This is the essence of practice. Once you have been able to recognize the empty nature of mind, attachment and desire will not arise when your mind sees something beautiful, and hatred and repulsion will not develop whenever it comes across anything horrible or unpleasant. Since these negative emotions no longer arise, the mind is no longer deceived or deluded, karma is not accumulated, and the stream of suffering is cut. Right? We're delivered into bliss. We are the bliss of the universe, as they say. So, this relative bodhicitta is much like fake it till we make it, right? First we have the aspiration, which is just the wish, right? As soon as we wake up, as soon as our eyes open in the morning, I hope this day I could benefit all beings. I hope I could benefit all beings today. This is it. It's an aspiration. And then we go through our day and we mess up and we get angry, right? And we're impatient. And we say things that we regret, right? This is being human. I do it. We all do it. But first we start where we are with just the aspiration. May I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings? May I be, be a benefit to all beings, right? It's an aspiration. Right? These things, like if someone were to cut off our head, you know, we're not going to be able to do that, right? Because we're not to have transcended ego and body and all that. So at first, it's a wish. And we can start doing little things, one thing at a time. We could forgive somebody. We could help somebody. And then this starts the process. How do we get anywhere? Just one step at a time, right? One step at a time. And even if we can't make a physical step, we can make it an inward step, a wish. That's it, right? Like Tong Lin. There have been times in my life where, like, I, I couldn't do Tonglin at first. Like, doing Tonglin with somebody with cancer, I'm going to take your cancer. I want, I want to take your cancer. Right? Very difficult at first. Very, very difficult. So we start where we are. And then, you know, there's times they say, you start by just wishing to take on people's suffering. And then you could actually have an experience well, you actually can. You could actually negate the suffering of somebody, right? This is an omniscient one, right? There's been many stories. Sai Baba is very popular for this, taking on someone's karma, Yogananda. You know, I live with Norman Paulson, and he said Yogananda, he was a caregiver for Yogananda. He said Yogananda, he would wake up, and sometimes he'd have all these ailments all the time. He said one day he woke up, and his left leg was all swollen and had his bruises and rash and it was really weird. So that he was caretaking for it. And he said, what happened? And he said, oh, nothing, nothing. 
So he was taking on these karmas of his students, right? And he said the next day he woke up and it was on the other leg. He said, oh, I thought it was on that leg. Oh, yeah, that leg today. No, no right? There's another story of Sai Baba where one of his devotees was in a different country and she burnt her hands on, on the stove. She burnt her hands really bad and she, she yelled out, Sai Baba. And they were saying that Sai Baba was given a teaching at the time. So he was in a group with a group of people and he just went, ow! Oh, <laughs> 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 it like, took him on, right? And there's also many stories of him walking down the stairs to give teachings and he's like a cripple at the top of the stairs, but by the time he got back down, he would you know, work through everything, right? So we can, you know, we can be these beings that could take on these karma. These, these karmas are all ours, right? They're all ours. You know, this is a great teacher. You know, someone was saying that she felt so much pain and, you know, she was just in a really bad time. And the first thing he said, he says, okay, honey, just so you know, your pain's my pain. I feel your pain, right? Your pain's my pain. So it's the first thing that we want to do is we want to know that everyone's pain's our pain, right? We're, we're not going to be completely free until we're all free. So first aspire to this <clears throat> until we can experience this. So before we go into discussion, let me just see. So, yeah, just to kind of summarize, taking it upon the path. So, that, you know, this is probably a very bad philosophy class or like, you know, how to live, <laughs> you know, as far as, you know, in, in life, Again, it's probably not the best um, thing to teach children or something like this because we have to stick up for ourselves. And so uh, we want to look at it with this perspective that this is how do we take suffering into the path, into the path of that aspect of our being. And that's very deep, right? How do we take it as a path where we look in and see that we're all whole one, right? And that this might be an accumulation of suffering we might be able to rid ourselves of that suffering. I just think it sounds to me like fight or flight. I mean, I don't think I'd be able to have the ability to say, I'm going to kindly beat the crap yeah. out of you. Right, right. I just don't yeah. think I'm there. <laughs> totally, yeah. <clears throat> it's great to, to, you know, like I'd like to be there, but I think I'd go into fight yeah. or flight. And it sounds like she went into flight. Right, right. And again, it's the best of our ability, right. you know, yeah. so. And you're protecting yourself, and you're a an amazing sentient being. You want to protect, you know, so that's that's totally fine. Um, and again, these are these are deep practices, and they're saying, you know, what what would a bodhisattva do? This is the act, and so they're more of something to kind of saturate ourselves with, little by little, until we get that wisdom, till we could see the karmas. You know, like Byron Katie was held up. Uh, had a gun or a knife, I can't remember. Oh, a gun. I think it was a gun. I remember, anyone remember that story, but New York City, dark alley type of situation. Guy comes up face to face with Byron Katie and she says, oh honey, 
I remember when I believed my thoughts too. <laughs> and it just totally diffused the situation. It was so odd you know, of a response <laughs> that it diffused it. And But of course she's coming from a place where she literally doesn't care if she lives or dies because she's just so there, you know. Um, the story of Byron Katie and her daughter and her were in a, in a supermarket and someone came up, haven't seen uh, Byron Katie in a while, and said, oh, how's your mom doing? She says, oh, great, you know, she's dead. But... <laughs> and she's like, mom, you can't do that. Like, you can't, that, people don't get that. She's good, You know, and this is the, this is more of an ultimate truth type of thing that it's all good. It is all good. You know, in the meantime, we have to use our wisdom and not be silly, you know. Earn money, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we only have a few minutes left. We want to do some, um, some meta practices, um, some loving kindness for those in need. So we have our prayer box here. So, so just setting the intention that we're doing this meditation and sending love, light, and health to all the beings that are in this prayer box. We also have a very a dear one in Long Beach Memorial Hospital suffering from, uh, she's a, become allergic to food, unfortunately. So she hasn't eaten in 26 days. She's a really beautiful being. 30 days now? Yeah, that's right. So 30 days now, she's an amazing practitioner. Her name is Heather. And she's just looking for us to send her karuna, compassion, metta, loving kindness. <clears throat> so to Heather, to all of our dear friends and loved ones, ourselves, those in the prayer box. Just reaching into the tender part of our hearts. This heart, this place in our heart that knows that we're all connected. That we're all together on this journey. May all the suffering pass. May all the suffering pass. May all beings be happy, healthy. light, love, joy, happiness. And just setting the intention, and for those that you've met Heather, visualizing her, assimilating food, body accepting this food, accepting nourishment. Her gaining weight, smiling. And then to end, I'll just read the Metta Sutta. To reach the state of peace, one skilled in the good 
should be capable and upright, straightforward and easy to speak to, gentle and not proud, contented and easily supported, living lightly and with few duties, wise and with senses calmed, not arrogant and without greed for supporters, and should not do the least thing that the wise should criticize. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. All living beings, whether weak or strong, tall, large, medium or short, tiny or big, seen or unseen, near or distant, born or to be born, may they all be happy. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere. Let no one, through anger or aversion, wish for others to suffer. As a mother would risk her own life to protect her child, her only child, so toward all beings should one cultivate a boundless heart. With loving kindness for the whole world, should one cultivate a boundless heart above, below, and all around. Without obstruction, without hate, without ill will, standing or talking, sitting or lying down, whenever one is awake, may one stay with this recollection. This is called a sublime abiding here and now. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.